welcome to Conversation of Change, the podcast that features social entrepreneurs that create inspiring and positively impactful work. My name is Gladys and I am a change maker with Make the Change, a social enterprise in Singapore offering learning programs to tertiary students and persons with disabilities, offering creative services to businesses as well as educating corporates about creating lasting impacts and attaining their targeted CSR goals. Today, we will be speaking to Hi Gladys, uh, thank you so much for having me here today and for introducing SOF. So let me just share with you a bit more about our history of SOF um, and just in fact last week we celebrated our third birthday. So we are a relatively young startup um, and we were, for, or at least SOF was started by Kenneth, so he's currently our director and we first started out by serving communities abroad. So we're doing work in Southeast Asia as well as Central Asia in countries like Myanmar, Malaysia. Um, and I think last year when COVID hit and travel stopped, the company was forced to pivot and to innovate locally. So what we did was we focused our efforts on the vulnerable communities in Singapore. And today we are a small team of six, small but hopefully doing um, work that is beyond a team of six. And really we believe and have the mandate to serve the vulnerable, um, whether abroad or locally. Well, yes, certainly small but mighty, I would say so. Yes, and I really admire your company's vision and mission and even more so admire how you've been able to successfully tackle prevalent social issues in Singapore. So I do know about one of your projects called Open Home Network, which aims to address homelessness in Singapore. So can you share more about this project and other meaningful projects that your company has been working on? Sure. Um, maybe I can share about two projects. So the Open Home Network, as well as the Alliance for Action for Low Wage Workers that I'm involved in. So the Open Home Network, as you have uh, mentioned earlier, it was started really during circuit breaker. So that happened sometime last year. And it was in response to the increasing number of individuals who were displaced from their homes. And this is what we um, term them as persons in crisis. And we work together with uh, various partners, including Homeless Hearts of Singapore and the Peers Network that MSF brought together to create a, a, a network of host families and befrienders to provide safe spaces for people in crisis. And the aim is really to provide a temporary refuge or house that will enable persons in crisis to focus and address other issues with their social workers. So just imagine with me, um, if you don't have a place to stay, I think 
um, your immediate response and your immediate worry would be, where do I stay as well as um, what do I eat? Uh, but when we can address that baseline level of need, um, then you have more bandwidth to think of other things. Say, can I apply for housing? Or can I um, go and see the doctor to treat whatever medical uh, illnesses that I may be facing? And I think one of the things about the Open Home Network or OHN uh, that we did was really to create a system to verify and ensure that host families were well equipped to support a person in crisis. So we came up with an onboarding toolkit and we, we, we did like a dating process, but it's facilitated dating for the host families as well as person in crisis. Um, so that there is a platform for them to meet, to interact and get to know one another before they actually um, committed to, to hosting or at least um, agreed to, to come into a um, sort of agreement. Um, and I think we managed to successfully host, I think, six persons in crisis. There were over 100 of families that signed up. Um, but after the vetting process, um, we, we, we had six uh, successful matches. Uh, it is still ongoing. And right now, we are looking at Open Home Network 2.0. Um, so for families that don't necessarily host, we say that you can come in as a befriender. And many have also done that. Um, oh. Yeah. So that is uh, Open Home Network 1.0. Uh, 2.0 is right now in the in the works, and we're exploring the possibility of working with families in one to two room flats. And one thing we noticed was people in one to two room flats actually tend to be more familiar with what a person in crisis may experience, and they are more willing to open up their homes. So that is why we are exploring how to bridge this gap and empower this demographic to extend care towards persons in crisis. So the other project that I'm involved in is also the Alliance for Action for Low-Wage Workers. It's a mouthful, so I, I would call it the AFA for L LWWs. And it's really a project that falls under the purview of uh, the Ministry of Manpower. Um, what it does, this Alliance for Action does, is to bring together individuals from both the public, private, and people sector to address a couple of focus areas. And I think for me, the project that I uh, was involved in and the focus area that I, I took upon was to look at the issue of rest areas, rest areas for low-wage workers. I think just to provide um, some context, I think in most workplaces, uh, and I believe yours and mine included, uh, we do have a common pantry. And this common pantry tends to be well-stocked. You have a place to wash up, you have a place, uh, you have a fridge, and you also have a microwave. And, and these are things that are accessible to the both of us. Um, but many of the lower-wage workers who play an important role in keeping our places clean, uh, secure, and even green, uh, they may not be as fortunate as us to have designated spaces for them to rest during their breaks. I think, in fact, a report by Labour Beat in 2019 uh, found that many of these lower-wage workers tend to take their breaks in makeshift areas. So just imagine with me, um, the stairwell um, that people don't usually use, or even next to a rubbish tree or rubbish dump. So these are some of the places that um, the report found low-wage workers to take their rest in. So I think upon hearing this, um, what my team decided to do was focus on three things. One, we sought to understand and learn best practices uh, with regard to existing areas for low-wage workers. And what we wanted to do is 
come down to an understanding of what essentially forms a good rest areas. So stripping down the rest areas, finding out what are essential items. And I think just to share an example um, of, of what we've learned is microwaves. Yeah, I think we, we tend to take microwaves as a given, but for lower wage workers, this is so, so essential. Um, as we spoke to some of them, we realized that, you know, they do work in certain places like a mall or a CBD area. And these are places that tend to have food that costs higher than um, where you would find in your um, community shops. So many of the low wage workers, what they do is in order to save money, they will packet food from home and they will bring to their workplaces to eat. And without a microwave, many of them will eat food that is cold. Um, and sometimes that is not necessarily the best and that may not necessarily be the most healthy. So that was the first thing we did to understand and learn what constitutes an existing rest area um, and what makes it good. So we spoke to developers, we spoke to uh, service providers and we spoke to the low wage workers themselves. And I think the next thing we did was to co-create with developers and more owners. So now with the lessons that we've learned and the essential items that we've uncovered, we brought it to work with more developers as well as uh, more owners and to co-create with them as well as their lower wage workers to figure out how we can build a sustainable rest area. And I think we're fortunate to be able to work with two, two big developers in Singapore um, to enhance the rest areas for the lower wage workers. And it was very, I think, fulfilling just to see how the lessons that we've learned was translated to work on the ground um, and to see it being used uh, by the low-wage workers. So in one of the, the, the developers that we worked with, um, we went to them and we shared with them the findings and we said, hey, it's important to have uh, tables and chairs uh, so that they can rest. And it's also important to have microwaves. And I think in our second meeting, when we went down on site, um, the tables and chairs were there and we actually saw people utilizing it. Um, and as we spoke to uh, the low-wage workers and we, we, we asked them, what else would be good? Um, so instead of telling them what we think is important for them, we actually sat down to listen to them. Um, and from there, we also then suggested more improvements for the developer. Um, so that is the co-creation process. And I think lastly, what we did for the AFA for LWWs um, and what we're currently do, working on right now is to develop a guidebook. So a guidebook itself is a step for anybody who is interested to develop a rest area for their workers. Um, and when they read it, it's, it's easy because there's modular rest areas depending on the size of the space that you have. Um, and it also details the processes that you need to undertake in order to co-create. So who are the stakeholders that you should speak to? Um, and, and what are some of the equipment that uh, you need? And really this is to enable more people and more developers to come on board to make rest areas accessible for low-wage workers. So I know it's rather long, uh, but hopefully it gives a, a brief summary of, of what uh, we're involved in. I think you did a very great job explaining between how your company is truly the bridge between the people that need help and the people that are able to provide help. And I can truly see how fulfilling it is to know that you've impacted the lives of these people. Yeah. So I do have one question regarding the 
open house open home network project so i'm just thinking about how is there a certain period between like how long these people will be staying in their homes for um so yeah it ranges from about two weeks to about six months i think six months is the time needed um for someone to apply and actually get housing from from hdb um in special cases there are there was a whole family that actually extended care beyond the six months um, so it really ranges and it depends on on the needs of the person in crisis ah i see and i'm really heartened to hear that there are so many families that actually signed up for this project this does give me more hope for singapore and you know how more people can actually help these people in need yeah it really just goes to show that you know um just offering yourself to be available it doesn't take much but you can and, and when people come on board to form the network of care i think it really helps yes it really really does and now moving on to our next segment so wanted to ask more about how solve provides corporate and public sector services to help organizations solve problems by finding the opportunity behind every issue like how you explained clearly just now so now just one want you to take us more about, you know, share more about your services and take us through how it would be like for a company to get on board with Solve. So I think um, you briefly mentioned earlier that we are a community-based management consultancy and that is essentially the service that we provide. And what we do is we go a step further to provide organizations and help them with project deployment. So we don't just strategize, but we actually go down on the ground to run pilots to come up with a proof of concept and also scale it up after that. Um, essentially, it means that you can come to us with any problem that you have. And what we do is we ideate with you to co-create solutions before implementing it together. So I think if you are an individual, so there are a couple of groups of people that we, we work with. I think if you're an individual and want to start a project, um, what we're able to do is to help you to scope the parameters of it and to help you understand how viable the project or initiative is. I think especially so for individuals, it can be a bit daunting to embark on your own project. Um, but what we believe in and, and what we think and, and know is important is to have a bouncing board so that you can actually bounce off ideas with. The more people that come in to, to provide um, feedback, to help to tighten the idea, the better the idea and the initiative tends to be. So as a company, we strive to achieve this and provide individuals with a safe space to innovate in a low-risk environment. So the other group of people that we work with very closely is nonprofits or non-governmental organizations. And for them, if they want to innovate, what we specialize in is ideation and pilot testing of projects. Um, and you guys can consider partnering us to do such a project. Uh, take, for example, a project called Fit52 that we embarked on with a non-profit organization and the project essentially aims to facilitate social integration through tech-assisted skills acquisition and foster familiarity towards people with autism it's quite a mouthful there um, but what essentially it does okay it brings together different groups of people together with persons with autism to use smart technology to cook and smart technology in this case is really the use of a thermal mix and what we did in our pilot run um, was to equip the persons with autism with the ability to um, cook using thermomics. Uh, previously, they were limited by the range of what they were able to do, which is to heat up food using pre-cooked items like frozen prata. So right now, they are able to make things like ice cream. 
uh, and even mushroom soup and bihun. And from the feedback of this pilot uh, that we received, it was overwhelming. Um, persons with autism were more engaged in the lessons and job coaches who also sense a difference in attitudes and mood of the class. And now the non-profit actually has a new program to offer. And we're right now in the next phase of piloting and fingers crossed, hopefully uh, COVID measures will be relaxed and we can bring in the corporate volunteers to come in uh, to actually cook with persons with autism. Um, so this is what we do with uh, non-profits. And lastly, I think for corporates, I think you can engage us to grow your business or to ideate with you on your CSR strategy. So an example would be our work with uh, Visual Technologies and it's a FinTech startup. So what we do is they specialize in machine learning for quantitative models for key financial markets. So we worked with them to understand their business model and we supported them by structuring their services as well as processes between their backend team as well as sales and services. And we also consulted to design their business development strategy and collaborate with them to build strong client relations. Um, so yeah, we, we offer a suite of services to different groups of people. Um, and that's how you can engage us. Just drop us an email or, or, or contact us um, on our website. Yeah, I think you did a good job in summarizing exactly what you do. Because I think the problem here is that, you know, sometimes people have the desire to do something, but just not too sure how to get it started. So I think, yes, this is really great. So for all of you listening out there, now you have a better understanding of how you can get on board. All right, now let's move on to something super interesting. So now let's talk about Saul's new book, Beneath the Rock, which uncovers 30 stories of 30 individuals from the social impact sector in Singapore in 30 days. So please share more about how this idea of Beneath the Rock came about and why people should you know, get this book for themselves. I think Beneath the Rock is a, is a very exciting project. Um, and maybe just to share with you, a background of how it started, right? Um, so for us, we have been in the sector, social impact sector for a while, and we really noticed a huge gap. Those of us who are in the sector are very, very, very involved in it. And for those who are not in the sector, they really have no clue about what is it. So when we talk about the word SSO, the acronym SSO, for us in the sector immediately, with a stamp of the finger, we'll tell you it's the social service office. For those not in the sector, many of them would think Singapore Symphonic Orchestra or what is an SSO, right? Yeah, and, and these are the, the things that we realized. And I think as we spoke to more people as well, people in the sector, especially um, sometime last year, we noticed a couple of things. The social sector is, like it or not, and unfortunately overburdened. I think there is high demands that result in burnout within the care sector that have been a recurring theme, both on the news as well as in the political arena with parliamentary debates. And just a fun fact, there are about 15,000 social service practitioners that are supporting the sector. Um, so imagine with me, 15,000 supporting a population of about 4 million residents, so Singaporeans as well as PR. But if we look at Singapore holistically, we're about 5.5. Uh, uh, last I checked. Um, it's a small number that supports a huge and big population. Um, and really, we asked ourselves this, how can we get more people 
um, on board with us, how can we get more people to support the community? Because when we're able to share um, the, the care, the burden of care, I think the workload will decrease and we have more people to support a larger community. So that's one of the reasons why Beneath the Rug was started. And I think Beneath the Rug was also started uh, because the other thing that we realized was in the social impact sector, um, a lot of the social service practitioners have to adhere to strict confidentiality rules uh, in order to respect the professional standards and out of respect to safeguard clients. So what this means, essentially it means that um, as a social worker or social service practitioners, it is hard to share about the work that we do beyond our work setting. It is not as easy for a social worker to share with their friends in finance about the work that we do as compared to having someone in finance uh, over dinner sharing us about sharing with friends about the work that they do. Um, and because there is the lack of information, um, this results in also an issue, which is not enough is said and heard about the social impact sector, right? Um, so two things, one is social service practitioners like a safe space where they can share meaningfully and for people out of the sector, they also like a platform and a safe space to know about social issues in order to serve more mindfully. I think that is really the basis of how Beneath Rock came to be. Yeah. Um, and I think just to share with you um, the process of putting together stories, right? Um, as a project lead, I really didn't know how Beneath Rock would have sh would have a shape would have a uh, maybe a shape and form okay reason being this um what we did with putting together this was instead of telling um our interviewees or, or people that wrote what to write about we gave them free reign we said tell us what you feel the public ought to know and should know um and as a project lead, it is pretty scary not to know how your project will actually turn out, right? Uh, but we felt that this was more important, uh, not for us, but more important for the people telling their stories. Uh, because what they may be an expert of may not necessarily be what weighs on their heart. Um, and through this, I think our authors as well as contributors found the reflection process very cathartic because it enabled them to take a pause step back and reflect on what had happened, especially so during a time of COVID. And even as we met a couple of our um, interviewees uh, and contributors to bounce off ideas, uh, they expressed their gratitude to us because it felt um, like a counseling session. Um, and this really validated the book. So you must understand, none of us here are trained counselors. Okay, but it really goes back to the point where so long as you're willing to provide a platform uh, to want to help and to want to listen, you can do it. And it doesn't take, uh, in that sense, uh, open inverted commas, a professional certification. Um, and, and, and this really is not to say that professional certification is not important. There is a space for, for professional um, like social workers as well as counsellors, uh, but there is also a place for people like you and I 
without the the domain expertise in that sense, just to listen. And I think just providing a listening ear is important. Um, so that was how Beneath the Rock started. Um, and I think here's why Beneath the Rock is important for, for all of us here to, to get our hands on a copy as well as to read it. Um, I think it is, after all, a book that provides us different perspective, 30 different perspective of people in the social impact sector. And these perspectives range from policymakers, um, practitioners, social workers, um, and even a social entrepreneur. And you would hear uh, their stories, but you also hear stories from a person with cerebral palsy. And what it aims to do is for us to start conversations. You know, we may not necessarily agree with all that's said and all that's expressed, but it's okay. It's a safe space for us to learn um, about what they go through but it's also a safe space for us to then chat with our friends in the sector um, because this would broaden our perspective. So we really hope that by reading the stories, I think we will inspire more people to join the sector and become change makers in the communities and in our communities. And we hope that as the stories resonate with you, um, you'll be spurred to contribute, right? The title suggests uh, Beneath the Rock. It is about the elephants in the room that we sweep under the carpet, and it's time to talk about it. I think we also hope Beneath the Rock will spark more meaningful volunteerism. Uh, you would realize that some of the stories illustrate good intentions are rarely sufficient. And this is something that we must be cognizant about because our actions can occasionally and unintentionally set off a string of unintended consequences. So we need to be more mindful in the way we volunteer. And we also hope that the book would encourage corporates to rethink and reimagine what corporate social responsibility looks like and to capitalize on their resources as well as best practices that they have. And more so, we hope that Beneath the Rock will inspire and birth more social enterprises to emerge uh, and through that, help to support our community in Singapore. Yes, I think we're on the common page here where, you know, I really like how you say, you know, we all want to be change makers and to make a positive impact in our community. So even for our company, we do have persons with disabilities working in our team. And we currently, like recently just launched our Unite, which is an inclusive talent portal. So, you know, where companies are able to hire persons with disabilities to fulfill their creative needs for their project. So this is this does tie in line nicely and I also do hope that, you know, for those of you reading the book out there, you also get to see, you know, a perspective from the other side and, you know, truly to understand others as well and, you know, take a step back, put yourself in their shoes and really understand what other people in Singapore are going through. Yes, and well, Thank you so much for sharing that. And before we end off, I believe there are many people and companies out there that believe in tackling the same social issues that your company aims to do. So is there any final words from you to encourage these people and companies to take a step forward to work with Solve? I think the, the first and foremost, I, I need to say thank you for doing what you're doing um, because we need to do it together. Um, and I think it's really just being cognizant of the fact that none of us, whether as a standalone individual 
corporate or non-profit can solve societal issues alone. And Solve actually believes that it really takes a whole of society approach where each of us contributes in a way we know how to. Um, so as someone who, as a corporate who, who does PR very well, um, I think that's the chance for you to come in to help non-profits with PR because that's the thing that non-profits don't do well and we're not experts in. So really tapping on each other's area of expertise to create and amplify change. So I think that's where partnership comes in. And really, if you're a company, a nonprofit, or individual who is inspired by the work we do, and you believe in co-creation um, and the power of coming together to brainstorm and um, for change, I think we'd like to invite you and, and, and just drop us an email at hello at solvem plus one. That's H-E-L-L-O at soft, S-O-L-V-E, and P-L-U-S dot one. Uh, O-N-E. And I think we'll really be very happy and excited to link up with you to see how we can partner each other to do good better. Hey, thank you so much, Lewin, for your insightful sharing and we really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Gladys, for having us here. No problem at all. I think for me, the main takeaway would really be knowing that there are many Singaporeans out there that do have the heart to serve the community and the willingness to do so. So I feel like a lot of us out there do want to make a change and just not sure how to do it. So for those of you listening, I hope you get a better idea of exactly how you're able to take your first step in serving the community. So those of you, if you want to get yourself a copy of Beneath the Rug, go to www.solvenplus.one/bcrshop to purchase and enjoy reading the 30 stories of these 30 individuals from the social impact sector and you know, really impress yourself with the different stories that you can uncover from others in Singapore. So lastly, to our dear listeners, please head to our website at makethechange.sg for more information on how we can do business for good and stay tuned to the next episode of Conversation of Change. Thank you. Bye.